By now, you've all heard of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0, the latest book published by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. It's more than just another wine book. The fully updated second edition was inspired by students of the Vinitali International Academy and painstakingly reviewed and revised by an expert panel of certified Italian wine ambassadors from across the globe. The book also includes an edition by Professore Attilio Scienza, Italy's leading vine geneticist. The benchmark producer's feature is a particularly important aspect of this revised edition. The selection makes it easier for our readers to get their hands on a bottle of wine that truly represents a particular grape or region. To pick up a copy, just head to Amazon.com or visit us at MamaJumboShrimp.com. Welcome to The Next Generation. I'm Victoria Cece. Join me as we chat with young Italian wine people shaking up the wine scene. We're going to geek out on a grape or grape fam, then hear about all the wild wine things our guests have been up to, from vineyard experiments to their favorite wine bars. Hello, hello. Happy Sunday. You know the drill. The Next Generation series here with me on the Italian Wine Podcast. Today we have a wonderful guest, a very different guest actually. He doesn't technically, well, directly work in the wine industry, Italian wine industry. He indirectly does, though. Alex Zelenich, and I practiced his last name a million times. Alex knows that. I hope I did a good job. He is the COO, the chief operating officer of Dita Artigianale in Florence, a wonderful specialty coffee company. We will be talking all things coffee, wine, Florence, lovely things very shortly. Before that, boom, 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 you know the drill. It's time to learn some fun facts about a sexy Italian wine grape from the even sexier Italian wine Unplugged 2.0 book that I always have with me. I keep it not in my pocket because it's, but I would have to have some obscene like Y2K Gen Z jeans to fit this book in my pocket. I don't own those, but it is a great book. And uh, we're going to today talk a bit about Vernaccia because it's a group and I of grapes, and I figure it would be a nice time to introduce Vernaccia. I am sure we are going to have a few Vernaccia producers maybe soon, maybe a preview, who knows? Keep your eyes and ears peeled. Now, a little bit about Vernaccia. So Vernaccia, as you guessed it, given that we have a guest from Florence, Tuscany, Vernaccia does grow in Tuscany. But there are a few kinds of Vernaccia. It's a group. It's a family. It's a name given to a large collection of grapes scattered all throughout Italy with only one thing in common, the name. So that's one fact. It's just the name they have in common. The most widely held theory maintains that the name stems from the Latin word vernaculum, meaning local, and therefore many local farmers use the vernac prefix for their grapes. So almost like a Trebbiano situation here. I'm not going down the Trebbiano track right now because that requires a whole podcast in itself to discuss. Going back, so Vernaccia groups. So what grapes are we talking about in the group here? We have Vernaccia di San Gimignano. So that is the one that grows in Tuscany. Then we have Vernaccia di Oristano, which is in Sardinia. And then we also have Vernaccia Nera, which goes in Umbria and Le Marche. 
And then there's a few other family members like Vernaccia Nera Grossa, Vernaccina, and Vernaccina Rimenese. So that's a few things to know about the group of Vernaccia. We'll get more into Vernaccia specifically soon. Um, but I think that's all you need to hear. Now it's time to drumroll, bring on our guest for today, Alex. Let's go. And welcome, Alex. What's going on? It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. How was your train ride? Uh, it was short and sweet, on time. was able to work most of the way, so yeah, it was good. Always working. That's how we know that our guest is American, everybody, because <laughs> I'm always working too, and I'm always, everyone always makes fun of me for it. Well, listen, I think um, if you like what you do, then you don't see it as work, right? Okay, so you like what you do. And what do you do? Okay, this is a good question. <laughs> I work in the specialty coffee industry. So uh, I am the chief operating officer of a company called Dita Artigianale, which is based in Firenze. And I moved here just under three years ago for this job. Uh, and so my general responsibility is to make sure that the operations of the company are running smoothly. Wow, very formal, very nice finance. Cool. Yeah, finance is a is a part of that because another aspect of my role is also being the liaison between our investors as well as the team on the ground and understanding kind of the general strategy of the business and the the capital will need to execute on that strategy and then um, being uh, being present in Florence or wherever we're expanding to uh, to do that. Awesome. So I imagine listeners probably have heard of Dita Artigianale because it's, it is the most famous coffee shop in Florence. And I can say that because I lived in Florence for a year. Well, that's very nice of you to say, and we're <laughs> happy to hear it. I know. I used to actually study in the De Neri location all the time, but I stopped because of all the students that would always be there, mm -hmm. and I felt very branded. Well, I loved it. Via Denetti is where it all started back in 2014. The company was originally founded in 2013 by two gentlemen by the names of uh, Francesco Sanapo and Patrick Hoffer, who were both already working in the coffee industry. And so Francesco, he started competing as a uh, barista champion, and he happened to win three years uh, Best Barista of Italy, and he ended up traveling around the world in these competitions to, to compete on the world stage. And I think that really opened up his eyes to this movement, which is what we call third wave specialty coffee. And uh, if you go to places like Japan or the United States or Australia, it's already a little bit more developed than places like Europe or parts of Europe, especially in Italy. And so uh, they decided to buy a small roasting machine in 20. 13 and start working with what we call single origin beans. So it means that we, um, we, we try to find the best producers around the world and develop a relationship with them to, uh, to import those beans into Italy and then roast them to what we think is their highest potential. And then we realized, or I guess they realized at that point in time, the best way to, uh, to turn people on to this coffee was to actually open a brick and mortar shop and that's where Via Denetti uh, fit in the mix, and they opened in 2014. Yeah, and something else that's really cool about Francesco is he's also a sommelier. So obviously, you know from all your guests how important you know it is to learn tasting notes and wine. And there's a lot of natural overlap between um, coffee and wine. And the, the Specialty Coffee Association actually has 
a coffee flavor wheel with um, more than 80 different flavors. And so there's a whole protocol when you cup coffee to taste the, uh, the, different, uh, the different notes. And uh, I think there's a, just a lot of natural overlap between that, the, the wine industry and the coffee industry. Um, and, and meanwhile, Patrick, he, you know, he's, um, he's also a co-founder of uh, Tuscany's first artisanal gin business called wow. Peter and Florence. And uh, Peter is uh, his father, who is British, and uh, with another gentleman, they opened uh, Peter and Florence. And the, the unique aspect of it is the storytelling component because it's produced and distilled uh, 30 minutes outside of, of Firenze in Pelago uh, on a beautiful agroturismo where actually 10 of the 14 botanicals used in the gin are grown on the property, including obviously the juniper, which a lot of people don't know is is a, a local botanical of Tuscany. So uh, at Aperitivo Adito, we obviously have Peter and Florence, and you can find it also around Italy. So it's just great to have um, people like that around who are very well-versed in the F&B space. Yeah, absolutely. And smelling wine, coffee, gin, engine. Exactly. All goes hand in hand. Awesome. Wow. And, and so I think it's super interesting. As you can tell, Alex is very Italian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I We're going off the grid a little bit in the Italian Wine Podcast, but no, Alex is actually, you have a lot of different cultures in your background. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that shortly because we're talking about coffee. So we're also going a little off topic again. Coffee and a non-Italian, but dita artigianale made Florentine sort of. <laughs> you got it. I'll yeah. take it. I don't know. I really forced that and it's not going to be accepted by Florentines. I know that because I lived in Florence. But back to the point. So I think it's really interesting because there's a lot of misconceptions about Italian coffee. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious to discuss that a little bit. Sure. I'll lean it into wine in a minute, mm-hmm. Stevie. But yeah, because as an American, you know, we all know the third wave coffee, you know, the hipster coffee as it's often branded. But when you come to Italy, especially with, you know, all the crazy you know, social media content, everyone talks about cappuccinos, all this stuff. People often forget that there is a third wave coffee movement in Italy. And it's also kind of, you know, working against a lot of the really bad coffee that exists in Italy. Totally. And I really want you to roast the bad coffee, mm. for a lack of a better pun, sorry, <laughs> In Italy. Well, sure. I'm happy to talk about it. I mean, um, so it's tied into our actual mission statement at DITA, which is that we are responsible in the way we source, the way we staff, the way we serve. And we're fundamentally trying to change the perception of coffee in Italy, but also the perception of Italian coffee abroad. Uh, And so having said that, as you mentioned, there is a very strong history of coffee in, in the culture here. I mean, people uh, stop and have an espresso multiple times a day. Uh, you'll notice in the traditional Italian cafeteria that uh, they have a slightly elevated bar counter so that you can literally put your elbow down, have a quick coffee, put down a euro, and then get on with your day. And, and, and so one thing you'll notice in all of our shops is we have a lower counter, and we don't want to create a barrier between the barista and the consumer. And we want to uh, also engage with them and we want to explain them what specialty coffee is, where the coffee's coming from, uh, what notes they should look for when they taste the coffee. Uh, and so having taken this job, I, I had never been to Florence. I, uh, I didn't speak any Italian when I moved here. It was a, it was a complete kind of new chapter in my journey. And, and coffee was also 
somewhat of a new industry for me. I was already working in food and beverage and drinking specialty coffee at home. At that time, I was living in Chicago and I uh, was drinking uh, a Chicago roaster, Intelligentsia coffee, as well known, mm-hmm. um, and doing my Chemex at home. But when I took on this new role, it was it was really exciting because my only understanding of uh, Italian coffee was Lavazza Nili, right, and and the beautiful packaging and and, and the branding, really. And I think uh, there's probably still that conception, especially in the U.S. Oh, it's it's Italian roasted coffee; it must be good. And uh, I think. You know, what we're trying to do is say, you know, again, there is this culture of coffee, uh, but let's try to make it um, a little bit more approachable in terms of not just the branding, but also where this coffee is coming from and who's behind it. Because the the work that goes into just um, one single bean of coffee is immense. And uh, we want to give credit back to those producers, uh, as well as also show the rest of the world that, you know, uh, specialty coffee is is coming out of Italy, and it's um, it's a good place for it. So um, I, I don't know if that answers the question, but no, for sure it does. I think it brings up a, an important point: is that you know one of the biggest um, markers of um, Italian culture in the sense of products is the whole made in Italy branding and that level of quality that was established after World War II um, through various industries, right? So it's with the love and passion and dedication to just the bar, the you know Italian sure. bar car- culture, you would expect and should expect that the beans would, uh, not just the beans, but the coffee quality would be at that level, mm-hmm. you know, and also at how, and then there's also the, there's so many ways to go mm-hmm. right now, and I, I don't want to go down this road, but I have to say it. So the whole concept of Italian coffee being affordable and being something that everyone can access in the cafe and sospeso, those kinds of things. There's a lot. Um, but I wanted to ask you with that comment on the bar, right? Mm-hmm. Going to the bar. Now, in Italy, as everyone knows, uh, not everybody knows, but for everyone to know, you know, you go to the bar and it's you don't just get coffee. You can get, you can get a shot of whatever you want at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. On that note, have you personally or, you know, Dita's in general experienced any interesting engagements or pushback with that concept of like lowering the bar literally and not it being like, hey, I, I want a glass of, you know, you know, Grigio, I don't know, at 11 a.m. Mm. Uh, yeah, no, that's a great question. In fact, in our third location that we opened in uh, the summer of 2021, we had a uh, we have a long bar. It's in Piazza Sant'Ambrogio uh, in Firenze. And so we have a very long bar with a low counter, but by the espresso machine, because that area of the city is extremely local, we actually had our architects design uh, an elbow mantle that we <laughs> attached to the to the counter so that the Florentine, the local, the Italian could come and still have someone to rest their elbow and have a quick, uh, quick shot of espresso. Um, and I think that's been well appreciated, even to the to the point that we're going to do that in our fifth cafe, which we're opening in a few weeks, uh, because we noticed how uh, how important it is to the people of, uh, of of Firenze. And so, I think what's interesting and and difficult for us, uh, and, and what we're still navigating, is uh, the the perception of the price of of an espresso. Um, you know, when Francesco and Patrick started this company ten years ago. Uh, it was bold of them to say, hey, we're going to charge €1.50 for an espresso. Uh, an espresso that, you know, we had at that point probably our, our Mamma Mia blend, which is four different coffees uh, from four different countries around the world. 
and um, you know there's a there's a story behind each one of those uh, those beans, and obviously they're all roasted to a certain level and then blended a certain way so that you get a very balanced um, experience in that espresso. But for the for the Italian consumer, it was ludicrous to to charge a euro fifty. I mean, again, if you're having several of these a day, that's a pretty um, steep increase. So we've tried really hard to uh, explain why uh, the price is that. And to this day, our, our, our espresso still is 150 oh, 10 years later. And again, if coming from New York or, or other parts of the world to have a, you know, a, a specialty coffee espresso, you're used to paying three, four or $5. Um, so. Are you enjoying this podcast? Don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for fascinating videos covering Stevie Kim and her travels across Italy and beyond, meeting winemakers, eating local food, and taking in the scenery. Now back to the show. COVID was actually a great opportunity for us to really engage more with the locals and educate them on um, why it's 150 versus one euro. And um, fortunately, I would say uh, espresso sales are still strong in all our ditas. And we just rolled out a challenge and I challenge all our uh, baristas and managers that may listen to this podcast, <laughs> um, that we have two hoppers, uh, so two grinders, one with uh, our espresso blend, which in this case is our Mamma Mia blend. And in the other grinder is a single origin, which will be rotating on more or less a monthly basis. And the single origin in this case is a Ethiopian, I think a natural Ethiopian bean. Uh, and we told each cafe that they will be challenged to sell the most single origin espresso. And whichever team uh, has the, the, the best you know, ratio for that store's volume will then get a, a special prize. And uh, we just rolled it out. And again, it's going to force the barista to say, oh, uh, un café, un espresso, right? You know, which type do you want? Do you want our blend or do you want to try this Ethiopian? You know, and it's, you know, it's very special for these reasons. And so, um, again, we're trying to engage always with the consumer, even uh, if the price for the single origin in this case is two euros instead of 150. Wow. And so it's still 150 now for the uh, for the blend. It's still 150 for the single origin. It's two. OK, so I, I mean, granted, I. Literally, not to throw shade at the bar downstairs, but I literally paid one seventy for my cappuccino this morning, mm. which is for the non-American. Well, for the Americans listening, that is high for Italy, sure. <laughs> being that I'm having like complete PTSD from the time that I ordered a. No one judge me. I went through a dirty chai latte phase. Uh, Everyone goes through it in America. Yeah. It happens. And also in America, the, sh the espresso shops are always double at, you know. I hate calling them hipster coffee shops, but that's just what I'm habituated to say. Elevated. What's the word? Give me a word. A better word. Third wave. Third wave. Two words. <laughs> Can you give us an elevator pitch for the Italians out there, what third wave is? Yeah, sure. That's a good question. <laughs> um, I like to describe it um, in uh, a breakdown of each wave. So... Uh, I would say first wave, uh, to my understanding, is really just your local corner cafe. Uh, in the case of Italy, the place downstairs that uh, is consistent. Um, it's the same price, same experience all the time. Nothing special gets the job done. 
Uh, second wave was really pioneered and revolutionized by big players like Starbucks, where um, they actually created a space that people would come to for the coffee. And they also wanted to educate the consumer on where the coffee was coming from, as well as different ways that you could extract the coffee, so different coffee beverages. Uh, and obviously, we all know um, how Starbucks uh, went on to do that. Mm -hmm. But as they scaled, um, I think some people would say that, you know, uh, it got quite commercial. And Third Wave has taken that and really elevated the experience. Um, so think, you know, um, nicer locations uh, where design is really uh, integral to the experience, as well as really more explanation behind the beans, uh, different ways to extract coffee, in some cases also serving uh, food or pastry, but, you know, a really kind of nice, more expensive in general uh, coffee shop and experience. Wow. That was very helpful and much better than me reading Wikipedia. <laughs> but Happy to hear that. And I forgot to finish. Dirty Chai was seven eighty dollars mm. mm. Yeah. But I was very caffeinated and sugar high mm -hmm. after that. So third wave coffee. Third wave exists in Italy. Mm -hmm. But also at Dita, you guys have a full beverage program and food program, depending on the locations, right? That's correct. Cool. And so what is that looking like? Do you notice, I guess my question is, is do you notice a change in like, people's consumption, it, apart from coffee, because we all know everyone's mostly a caffeine addict. But, well, actually, no. Let me dial that back. That's not true. I know that there's a bit of a ginseng orzo hype that happened with Italians still happening. But just putting the caffeine aside with alcohol, with wine, what do you notice, the cafes? Yeah, great question. So to give people a little bit of context on Dita, like I said, it was started 10 years ago. Uh, the first shop was open in 2014. Here we are 10 years later, and we have now four shops that are open in the center of Florence. We'll be opening another two, uh, one in a few weeks, and then one shortly thereafter. Also in Florence for a total of six. Uh, we also have one location in Toronto, Canada. Uh, and a we, takeover. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's important to spread, you know, what we've started here <laughs> as far as we can. So Spread. <laughs> it's like when people are taking over, we're just spreading. Well, you know, you got to give the people what they want. So um, we have the location in Toronto, and then we also have um, a brand-new roastery we just built in Florence, as well as a state-of-the-art bakery where we uh, bake all the pastry, uh, and we're going to be starting bread as well for the locations because each location to your earlier point, also does have pastry, but also a brunch menu from nine to three. And then what we call the merenda period kind of starts and people have pastry and tea or coffee. And then around five, six, we start the aperitivo program. Uh, each location has slightly different hours depending on the traffic of the area of the city that they're in. But most uh, are open to at least eight. Uh, and the one in Sant'Ambrogio, which is a bustling neighborhood, is open till midnight. Uh, and the new one that we're going to be opening in Piazza Ferrucci will also be open till 11. And there we do also top us. But to the to the question about the beverage program, we're very fortunate. We have an incredible head bartender. His name is Emanuele Ventura, and he takes his craft extremely seriously. So we have obviously all your classic cocktails, but also signature cocktails that we do uh, periodically. And he's in charge of putting those together and collaborating with the staff to also train them. And then we have rotating wines, beers and wines. Uh, we use one of the large beverage distributors in the city uh, of Florence. And 
we always have a couple options, you know, typically a few reds, a white, uh, maybe in the summer a rosé and obviously sparkling. And we've looked at potentially working directly with producers, mm -hmm. but logistically it gets a little bit challenging because we have to deliver to, you know, pretty soon it'll be six locations. And so uh, it's not something I want to give up on, but um, it's not something that we've been able to do just yet. You're in... I know, I know. Tuscany, I know. at least. He's There's, like, he's like, don't put the pressure. I feel the pressure. No, we, we, always, we always have like a Chianti Classico and a Bulgari. Of course. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if anything, you can just drive and get it. Not going to make you drive a truck. I don't work for Dita. But you got to give me all the contacts. You know? I will. I mean, that's Let what me I'm here for. Wait, do you drink wine? I do. Do you? I do. do you? Okay. What kind, of, what kind of wine do you like? Well, uh, I'm a bit partial because I'm half French. And <sighs> so I know that's going to be tough. The only word that you can say on this podcast that I will approve is champagne. Besides that, I don't want to hear yeah. it. <laughs> J'adore le champagne, that's ah. for sure. Not so easy to necessarily find. Uh, well, you can find champagne, but it's not easy to find wine from other parts of the world in Italy. I'm sure you talk about this on the podcast, but uh, I get it. And there's a lot of great Italian wine. And so now I've just turned a leaf and I'm, I'm digging into it and trying to learn more about it. Because especially where we are in Tuscany, there's so much great wine at our doorstep. Yeah, absolutely. And just, yeah, just quick car trip down the road. I mean, but that is true. I mean, I feel like it has changed. I feel like you can find more um, foreign, quote unquote, wines in Italy. If you know where to go, like the right wine bars. Mm -hmm. But it does get like... But you go, you'll find them at like the wine bars, I think, where people are really passionate about wine, generally speaking, because everyone's, I mean, in the modern world, I can't say for everyone because there's generational winemaking, of course, but most winemakers travel the world and see different styles and different approaches and things that are happening. So it's very much like if you go somewhere and as much as you want to pay homage to, you know, the local stuff, which you should, mm -hmm. um, you also have to share the wealth of the wine world you know what i mean absolutely like there's a reason champagne is champagne yep like and there's a reason i will openly say on the italian wine podcast and i know there's a person i will not say their name that's very famous in the italian wine world affiliated with this podcast that will agree with me like i'm going to choose champagne all the time about sparkling wines mm -hmm. but when it comes to other reds and whites i do will choose italian but Florence has a lot, but that's the thing. You haven't, is there, where do we, let's just go back. Where do you go to drink? Like, what do you? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so Florence does have a lot. It is, um, I like to call it a big town because it's mm -hmm. not, a, not a huge city. I agree. And it actually has less people than Bologna, which people don't think about because there's so many tourists there. But um, there are a couple good natural wine bars. I have a dear friend from New York who, um, He's really into wine, and he uh, he's educated me a lot over the years on natural wine. And so um, I go to a few of these spots. There's one not far from uh, our cafe in Sant'Ambrogio called Sonora, which uh, I think they just also expanded. So I have to go back and check out the new space. Um, but otherwise, um, I also try to go and find wine that I can bring home and taste at home. Uh, and now you're seeing more and more natural wine uh, available around, which which is good. I, I don't think it's as pronounced as in other parts of the world, like New York City. Um, but uh, I, I'm trying to just always learn 
and of course enjoy the classics. Um, so when I do get a chance to get a car and go to Brunello Montalcino or Montepulciano or San Gimignano, I'll uh, visit a winery and try to pick up a few bottles as well. Yeah, you have to take advantage of that, especially as Americans, because we, I mean, we have wineries, but it, depending on, you know, where you're living in the States and also just being able to buy so much wine and bring it home right from the winery is so special. Yeah, like we're it's, lucky. It's something that, you know, um, is so ingrained in the culture here, but we like, I think, and in, in, in naturally, like anything is taken for granted because it's just there. But for me, I mean, obviously, you know, I don't have a car right now. <laughs> um, but what I do, I will take advantage here, of course, in Verona. But <clears throat> so I think like this is probably a good time towards the end of this discussion to really just talk some smack about Florence. I mean, talk really great things about Florence. So I love that you said it was a, a big town because mm-hmm. that's exactly I think what my mom said to me when I lived in Florence. Mm-hmm. Um and being that, like, <laughs> there's a lot of Americans and a lot of tourists there. Mm-hmm. Do you, I just, I want you to give us the best story you have of. Of Americans? Yes, yeah, students, whatever, whatever comes to mind. Because I have so many and I sound so rude every time I say them. So I'm going to put this on you now. <laughs> no, 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 it's a great question. And look, uh, we're extremely fortunate at DITA to um, have so many foreigners, tourist students come to enjoy the, a cup of coffee or mm. a brunch uh, at our shops. And I like to um, spend time in the shops as much as possible. So... You know, a couple hours here or there sitting near the bar. Uh, it's amazing what you can see. And you obviously can interact more with the staff. But you can interact, most importantly, with your customer. And uh, I'll always know right away when it's, it's an American because I can hear it. And um, I, I, I try to engage and understand how they found Dita. And um, we do have a good relationship with a lot of the universities uh, that are present in Florence, which is one of the largest study abroad destinations in the world. Mm -hmm. And it makes perfect sense, right? Birthplace of the Renaissance, it's very safe. uh, It's, you know, Tuscany. So um, they come in packs, they're studying, you know, they order their matcha latte, uh, you know, with oat milk and that's, you know, that's fine, I get it. And we we have all those things. But I think the best thing I ever heard was when some folks had brunch and they ordered like pancakes and French toast and I, you know, they obviously didn't know who I was. I was sitting next door and they said, man, these are the best pancakes I've ever had. And I was like, this is Italy. We're in Florence and I'm here in this Adita Pisanale. And I was like, you know, I was proud of that because I helped work on the recipe a little bit. And it uh, um, goes to say, you can have great pancakes in Florence, great French toast. Now we make the French toast with bread that we bake in, in the bakery. Okay. So um, it's just great to give people something that they're familiar with, which they can't necessarily find very easily in Florence. And I think that's a, a differentiator for Dita and why it's been so successful. Wow. So the best pancakes in Florence, not uh, in America. Well, you know, I don't know. This is what I heard. And then, of course, I had to <laughs> had to engage and say, you know, I'm really happy to hear that. And uh, everybody is, is friendly. And they say, oh, I love this location or you need to improve this. We're always trying to improve. So please, like, if you do come to Adita, please, you know, provide feedback because we know that we're not perfect. I mean, getting a pancake approval is pretty, I have to say, I can do a whole podcast on pancakes because yeah. there's an art to pancakes. Yeah. 
And Alex has a food background. If you didn't read the little bio section about him, we probably could also have another podcast about your life before Dita <laughs> working in food. But oh, that's so good. Yeah. I Feedback is always important and something I always pride myself on. My friends find me very annoying, but I always like I will never not say if something's wrong when I go somewhere. Not and I don't say it rudely. I just tell them because it's like if you don't say anything, then they keep doing it and they won't know. Until, yeah, no, it's true, yeah. and, and it's something like we try to have a very horizontal culture at DITA amongst the staff, and we have an incredible team, and sharing is is encouraged, feedback is encouraged, because like you said, if you don't hear it, nothing will change, and uh, this, this industry is fast moving, you know, and so like whether it's technology and like capturing payment or how we, um, you know, decide on the number of servers we're going to have versus doing maybe a non-service you know, non model. Uh, these are all things that, you know, we need to hear what the people in the actual cafes have to say because typically those are the eyes and ears for making really important strategic decisions. Absolutely. Well, we're rounding down the conversation, mm -hmm. so I'm going to finish with three very quick and very, 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 very important questions for myself and everyone else, of course. Where is your favorite place to eat in Florence? Mm -hmm. What is your, where's your favorite place to drink, if not said already? And thirdly, how can somebody aspiring to work in the coffee business or, you know, live in Italy, Florence, what, what not, get involved with Dita? Sure. Um, favorite place to eat? That's a tough question. You can give two. Firenze is a great destination for restaurants. Um, there's a great restaurant called Le Lune, which is, uh, on the, the way to Fiesole, uh, incredible family behind it. They grow most of their produce. Um, and there's a real sense of, um, craftsmanship behind the food and storytelling behind the food. And we know the owners well there. So, uh, uh, I highly recommend Le Lune. Otherwise, there's one a little bit closer to where I live, in, right off Piazza Santo Spirito, which is called Gurdulu Gastronomia. And that's a cool model because it's a gastronomia where you can also buy things quickly to go, but also have a tasting menu. And it's very, uh, very affordable, very high execution. Um, for drinking, uh, you know, there's um, obviously all the piazzas and you can easily hang out there and enjoy the sunshine and get uh, one of the classic Italian cocktails. Um, if you want a really elevated experience, Locale, which I think was top 50 best bar mm -hmm. in the world, um, is worth checking out. Um, but then, you know, there's this place called Dita Artigianale. <laughs> oh my God. It's really, we didn't talk about Dita it's at great, all. It's a great place and hopefully we can take good care of you. And, <laughs> to, and to your last question, like if, uh, if anybody's interested, we are always hiring. We are always looking for talented staff. Um, we typically have our most pressing needs listed on LinkedIn or Indeed, but uh, we encourage folks to come in, drop off a resume, uh, talk to a manager, and even if it's not a role that you see active, we're a growing company, we have a lot of momentum behind us, and so uh, we're always looking to bring on top-tier talent from around the world. We have a very young international team. It's something that we're all very proud of, uh, and I think it gives... Um, to a, re a really unique uh, culture. Amazing. You hear that, folks? You can live your dream with Dita Artigianale. Lavoro con noi, lavoro con noi. 
Mario. Thank you so much, Alex, for coming on the podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Um, wait, is your French or Italian better? Sorry, last question. I swear. Well, French is my maternal language, so I have to. I have to probably say that that one sticks with me no matter how old I get. I get a little rusty, but I, I still have family there, and I speak to them when I can. And I like to travel to France. Um, but Italian's come a long way. Unfortunately, I feel like I've traded in my Spanish because I used to speak oh, fluent no. Spanish. And that and it started by like a hybrid, and now it's really becoming more uh, Italian. But Italian's a beautiful language. Italy's a beautiful country, as you know. And um, I feel pretty confident. I'm not, I'm not quite where I need to be, but uh, the staff keeps me honest about that. <laughs> as they should, as the Florentines love to do, if there's anything is correct to you all the time. No comment. Another reason why they send the study abroad students to Florence. <laughs> Anyways, awesome. Well, I'm I'm so glad we had this talk with all the Dita things and all the lovely things about coffee. Um, yeah, thank you so much again, Alex. Thank you. Pleasure was all mine, Victoria. And I'm going to be having a coffee now. Ciao, everyone. As always, a big grazie for hanging out with me today. Remember, you can catch me every Sunday on the Italian Wine Podcast, available anywhere you can get your pods.